Well, good morning, Oakwood. Happy New Year. So glad that you're here with us this morning. We're excited that you're here. We are a church that is growing to know, love, and live Jesus. And we're so glad that you have joined us this first Sunday of 2024. Now, I know it's a little weird because some of you are like, Happy New Year. It's like, is it, well, we've been doing this for like a week now, but this is the first official Sunday of 2024. So a couple great things about that. Um, I'm, I'm just curious to, to begin though this morning. How many of you have made a New Year's resolution of some type? Something you're going to change this year? Hold your hand up. Okay, it's about like first service. There's only like seven people that made a New Year's resolution. All right, so I want everybody to, to raise your hand. Everybody put your hand up. Everybody in the room put your hand up and say, hey, this year I want to grow deeper spiritually more in 2024 than at any other time in my life. Look at that. Full participation, that's great. Oh, no, leave your hands up, leave your hands up. And I, and I am going to be in church every Sunday this year for perfect attendance, and you're already there. You have perfect, all of you that wanted that on your bucket list, the perfect attendance, you've already got it for 2024. Wow. That is, that is awesome. But uh, no, so glad you're here this morning as we're uh, beginning a new a series from the book of Daniel. There's so many opportunities to grow spiritually um, and I know it's the beginning of the year, but, uh, and I know there's several of you, I think we're up to like 98 now, had a couple more sign up between services, um, but in uh, the Bible app, we have a Bible reading plan, um, and it's reading the entire Bible in a year, and um, there's 150 spots, that's just what it allows in the app, uh, so we still have about 50 spots open, if you want to do that with us. Um, it's really easy, you got an email on Thursday, or you should have. If you didn't, please call the office this week and give us your email address and update that. Uh, but it had a link in that email to sign up in the app to be a part of this. But if that's something you wanted to do, have always wanted to do, be a part of that with us. It is so good because everything's lined out for you, what you need to read each day to keep up. But what's great about the app is that it has this place at the bottom where every day it has to talk it over. And people get on there and they post like, hey, this scripture really, you know, really spoke to me or I really liked what God said about this. And people are feeding off of each other, offering insights. And it's just such a good way to have community, to read the Bible together. It's so um, interesting. And, and we're only like, I think today is Genesis 22. So if you start today, you're only 21 chapters behind in Genesis. Okay. And I know some of you are like, that's a lot. No, it isn't. You, you can read that in less than an hour. Um, it's, it's awesome. And there's just nothing like the Word of God to change your life. So if that's one of, the, one of your desires this year, uh, get in the app, be a part of that. And also, uh, just as Alan just mentioned a minute ago, men, do not miss Burley, okay? If you were part of our first Burley conference, August of 2022, Jeff Walling was here. Man, tremendous speaker. I uh, talked to him on the phone Tuesday for about an hour. He is so pumped and excited. He's shooting all these ideas to me, and I'm like, yes, that is what our men need. So January 19th and 20th, sign up now. You'll save some money. After next Sunday, the price goes up. But, uh, man, we want all the men of the church to be a part of that. Funny thing is, as of Wednesday of this week, we had more people signed up from outside of our church, from all over the state, than we had in our own church. So I'm like, dude, Oakwood men have got to represent, okay? So, so please sign up, oakwood.church slash burley. Uh, be, a, be a part of that in the, in the new year. And also, as, as Alan mentioned too, be a part of groups. We've got the growth groups. Uh, man, you can join those groups at any time, but right now is a great time. Maybe you've been putting that off of, of man, I don't know if I want to be a part of growth groups. And man, that, this is a great time to, to start uh, growing in Christ and to, to form some new habits, to start some new things, to try some new things. Um, because we want you to just grow 
uh, more and more in love with Jesus every day. And so uh, be a part of that and, and all those opportunities in the new year. So we are starting in the book of Daniel this morning. And so obviously, if you have your Bible, you want to turn uh, to Daniel chapter, chapter 1. And uh, that's where we're going to be at in this series. And just a reminder that if you have your phone, your iPad, uh, maybe your tablet or something that you got for Christmas, you are always welcome to follow along in that. Just download the Oakwood app and go to sermon notes, and all of the scriptures and all the notes and everything are there for you. And I know there's an outline in the bulletin as well. Uh, we just want you to engage the Word of God. So whatever helps you grow spiritually, that's what we want you to do uh, during this time every Sunday morning. So now, I know some of you are like, Daniel, okay. I know maybe a couple little things about Daniel. It's in the, it's in the Old Testament. And, you know, what is this really all about? And maybe a little bit of background into why Daniel. Daniel is a very interesting book because Daniel and his friends that we're going to read about and meet this morning, they find themselves in the southern kingdom of Israel, which is called Judah, they find themselves in exile when we open up our story. Now, they are in exile for nothing that these young men did. And these young men are believed to be, you know, any, anywhere from, you know, 14 to 16 years old. So, so we're talking young, young teenage men here. And they've, they've, they've done nothing, but they are kind of suffering consequences of leadership of their country and what the people have done before them. You, if you know the Old Testament, you know the pattern. God's people are walking with the Lord. They're, they're doing what the Lord has told them to do, and they're being blessed for it, right? And life is good. And then they turn and they say, oh, no, I want to do life on my terms, my own way. They don't go God's direction. And it seems like bad things happen when we don't obey God. Can I get amen on that from anybody? <laughs> yeah. Bad things happen. And so, so they're actually kind of, kind of, God says, okay, fine, you know, you're going to kind of have it your way. And, and he allows his people to be conquered by a foreign land and to be brought in to Babylon. And the plan here in Babylon is that King Nebuchadnezzar, who we'll meet in the chapter day two, uh, he's going to reconditioning camp for these young men. And his game plan is, I'm going to recondition all the best and the brightest of these young people, and they're going to adopt our literature, and they're going to adopt our culture, and they're going to begin to like us, and we're hoping that they'll even turn from whatever gods they, they, they worship to the gods of Babylon, and we're going to do this in such a way that we're going to own these people for generations to come, because we're going to take their youth, and we're going to change them, we're going to mold them into being good Babylonian types. And they are in a land and in a culture that's not there. It, doesn't, it feels foreign. It, it's, it's nothing. You know, it, there's all this stuff being thrown at them. I'm sure they're frustrated. And that's where we pick up the story here in the book of Daniel. And there's so much that we are going to learn. Now, how we got here was actually prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah actually went to one of the kings of the southern kingdom in Judah named Hezekiah and told him, hey, this is what's going to happen. Let me read that to you. Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 through 7. It says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, they will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Eunuchs were in the, in, in, in the courts and servants of the king of Babylon. Now, you read something like that, you're like, whoa, something bad 
really bad is going on here. And yet, this is what's happening to Daniel and his friends as we begin in this book. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the backwash of someone else's sin. Sometimes we have to suffer consequences for, I I haven't done anything wrong, but because this person chose a path that was not God's plan, that was not God's will and God's way, sometimes the consequences of that, the fallout of that, affects other people. It wasn't because of any decisions that's evidenced in Scripture that Daniel or his friends did. It's what the people in leadership of their country and maybe their forefathers did that winds them up in this bad situation in Babylon. And what Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to do is try to capture these youth to condition them so that they will grow up and turn away from God. This is the very foundation where Daniel finds himself, which really leads us to a question this morning. I want us to consider before we get into the text. How do we respond as Christians? How do we respond to a culture that doesn't care about God and his ways? Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you say, we kind of have have some of that here now. A little, little bit of that happening where we live now how do we respond to a culture that doesn't care about God doesn't care about his ways Christians sometimes what we do is we pull away sometimes as Christians we 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 pull away we say hey I don't want to get infected by the culture you know so we're going to cocoon ourselves we're going to pull out from the world and all the crud of the world there's a picture on on the screen of a group that that maybe some of you know that are they're called the Amish um, in southeast Iowa, where I'm originally from, in Van Buren County, we have a huge Amish population. It, it's nothing for you to be uh, driving down the road in your car and for you to come up on a horse-drawn carriage with a family in it. There's a lot of things about the Amish I really admire. Their dedication to the Word, their dedication to worship, and their desire to serve God. But they've chosen to do it in such a way that uh, they've pulled out from society and they don't mix and mingle with the world at all. Sometimes I look at that and I think, you know, that, 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 that's good sometimes. They're not being affected by the world and all the crud of the world. But I'm like, how do they live out the Great Commission if they aren't in the world somehow? If they don't rub shoulders with common folk, if they don't rub shoulders with the culture and the society and they completely cocoon themselves, how can they be salt and light into the world like, like Jesus says we're supposed to do? How can they be, take the Great Commission marching orders of making disciples of lost people? How can they do that when when they've, they've sequestered themselves so much. But let's admit, for some of us, that sometimes we pull away. Some, some Christians, they push back. Some Christians push back and they beat their chest and they say, hey, we're going to declare war. We're going to declare war on this culture. And, then, and they're going to scream and they're going to picket and they're going to protest and they're going to rant and they're going to post about it online. And they're, yeah, we're going to stand up for, for God. We're going to take this country back. And... And yet they always look so angry. And sometimes the message just seems to be one of hatred and not love. Sometimes it seems like they're trying to attack the very people that God says we're trying to win to Jesus Christ. But sometimes we as Christians, we, we pull away or we push back. And then there's, there's others of us that just give in. There's some of us that just give in. We say, hey, this is too hard. Let's just take the path of least resistance here. We can be kind of Christians, kind of, you know. 
like kind of please God like sometimes, but we can keep our vices over here. You know, we can, we can, it's kind of like keeping our life in a, in, a, in, a, in a dresser that's full of drawers. And I got my Jesus drawer here. I can get out Jesus on Sunday and feel good about that. But then I got, you know, this drawer over here that kind of has some worldliness in it. And I kind of allow some things to influence me there. Um, but, man, I'm not going to fight that anymore. I, I'm just going to allow the, the culture to kind of dictate some of my morals and values. And, you know, as Christians, we just, we just want to blend in, you know. We can kind of adopt the ways of our Babylon and, you know, leave some wiggle room in there because it's just easier that way. You know, there were, there were more peaceable people. Now, you look at those three ways that Christians respond by pulling away, by pushing back, or by giving in. And I look at those and, and the merits of all those, and I think, man, there's got to be a better way to live and survive in Babylon. And that's what we're going to begin looking at in the series today, some survival tips for Babylon. Because Daniel and his friends do a good job of being in the culture, actually being influenced in the culture, actually being respected in the culture, and still standing firm for God. And they do it without yelling and screaming and in any way representing God and his plan in some kind of bad light. What we're going to realize this morning is this. What Daniel is going to show us is that we don't have to be like to be liked. So many times I think we say, oh, we've got to be like to be liked and to get that influential thing in the culture. That we've got to compromise Somehow, and be like the culture more, and if, if the church and the Christians are like that, but 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 Daniel doesn't do that. For him, it's not an it's not an either or. We can hold deeply our convictions and our values, and we can still be respected and appreciated even by the culture around us that does not hold the same. Values. Now we sometimes take on this warfare attitude approach that we're going to wipe them out. When the Bible is saying, no, don't wipe them out, win them to Christ. We have to consider, is it possible for us that we could be perceived as a blessing to the world and to the culture, even if, even if you don't believe what the culture is selling? Could we stand on our convictions and hold firm to Christ and still be respected by those around us? We have so much to learn from Daniel about this, and that's where we're going to begin today in Daniel chapter 1. Let's read that together. Daniel chapter 1 says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now that word besieged there means that he, it was almost like uh, torturing it and, and taking things out of it, stealing things and reconditioning it. It didn't mean he wiped it out. It didn't mean he burned it to the ground. He just besieged Jerusalem. And, and, and look at verse 2. It says, And then the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now pay attention there. Who delivered? The Lord. The, the, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of the Babylonians, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God, little g God, in Babylonia, and put in the treasure house of his little g God. Now, to me, I'm like, my heart is already hurting. These are things that are holy to God of Israel. And they're being taken over to a foreign land and offered to foreign gods. 
verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now, where did we read about that, that that was going to happen? Do you remember Isaiah 39? What did it say there? And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You see, it was prophesied before. And here's the fulfillment of that prophecy right there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. And then we read verse 4 and continue. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He wanted the best and the brightest youth from the Israelites. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. You might know some of their new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar was a Babylonian name that meant that uh, he was going to worship Baal. Wouldn't, wouldn't like that name. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. To Azariah, Abednego. All of these Babylonian names were speaking against the God of Israel and speaking something to these youth about who they would be in or who they would hope to be in Babylon. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And I'll explain more about what that meant in a minute. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, hey, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so... Ashpenaz agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink and give them vegetables instead, which made Daniel and his friends extremely popular amongst all of those serving in the king's court. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered into the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year 
of King Cyrus. Now we read that chapter and you see the game plan, right? I mean, it's laid, laid out there right, right there for us, okay? We're going to change their language, right? We're going we're to change, change their language. We're going to teach them the language and the ways of the Babylonians. And in that language, there's going to be culture and cultural points and values and beliefs that are presented them through this language. We're going to have them read the literature and the history and tell them how great we are. We are going to recondition these young men's minds. We're going to teach them our lifestyles and our ways in hopes of their loyalty that will carry on for generations. We're going to own the Israelites. And we're, they put all of these young men into the king's court in hopes that they'll change them. And yet we're going to find out already in chapter 1 and throughout this book, Daniel and his friends stand firm on their convictions. We're going to be looking at this question in this series. How do we survive in Babylon? And you may say, well, how do we survive in Babylon? We're not in Babylon, folks. Is this the same United States of America that it was in 1776? I know some of you are like, hey, this is a Christian nation that's built on Christian morals and Christian values, and all that came from the Bible and the Word of God. You'd be 100% correct. That's where we started back in 1776. And you go fast forward even into the 1800s. I mean, presidents that are praying and calling people to repent and calling the nation to, to pray and constantly turning to God. And God's in all of the laws and in all of the processes. And even, even Congress, you know, they would read from the Bible and they would pray and they would ask for God's wisdom before they would go into, into session. And, and you look at this and you're saying, man, the, even from the government down to the culture to the world, this was a Christian nation. And if you called it a Christian nation, you'd be 100% true. It's called that even in history books. Built on Judeo-Christian morals and values that come from the word of God. But folks, we're not there today. And more and more, I bet you feel like I do, that we are exiles in our own Babylon. It doesn't any longer feel like, we're being honest this morning, right? It doesn't any longer feel like the United States of America. It's the United States of Babylon. And the culture is coming against us and trying to recondition us and pull us away one by one, family by family. They're after our children. They're after our teenagers, trying to recondition them and send them into their reconditioning camps all through all types of media. I mean, they, they can get to our kids so fast. And to recondition them and to make them look like pagans. And you look around our world and you're like, man, you're, you're kind of right on that. And that's kind of exactly what's going on. But how do we survive in Babylon? How do we survive in our Babylon today? Let's learn a couple things from Daniel this morning. The first one is this. We need to choose battles that really matter. Christians, please, choose battles that really matter. Daniel here, he didn't go in trying to impose his values on the culture in chapter 1. He didn't expect them to live by or promote anyone's values but their own. You think about this, Christians. Daniel wasn't shocked and so upset because Babylonians thought and lived like Babylonians. And yet there are Christians today that are shocked and so upset that pagan Americans act like pagan Americans. Shocked by the culture. And yet you don't read this in the book of Daniel. You don't read that, man, they were really distraught. And so Daniel wrote a letter to the king. It's like, hey, 
listen up here, you're not living by the standards that I hold to. He, he wasn't going out there and looking to pick a fight. And you read, and it's like he put on their clothes. It says that they reclothed him. It says that they taught them the language and the literature. He, he was okay with that. Those were battles that he chose not to fight. But he did choose one. Very interesting. Right here in chapter 1. He said, I'm drawing a line with the food. He decided he would draw a line there for that food he would not eat. Now, if you don't understand it, you're like, so what's the big deal? It's royal food. Okay. The food that was on the royal table in Babylon was a special food that was probably not healthy for you, okay? First of all, it definitely went against the Judeo, the, the, the Jewish customs of what they were required in the Jewish law, of what they were to eat and not to eat, what was considered okay and what wasn't. But more than that, what came to the king's table was food that had been offered to their little g gods. The, this food had been offered to idols and then was brought to the king's table and then was dispersed to the king's court and to all of his servants. And so Daniel knew, if I'm eating this, I'm eating food that has been offered to idols and some of this food is junk that I shouldn't be eating because I know what the law of God requires. And so he said, line in the sand, I'm not going to do it. And so what he did is he cried and moaned and wept and yelled. And he went and yelled at the people. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, that's not what he did. What, 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 did, what did he do? He chose his battle for those things that really mattered. And he drew a line because he knew what issues needed to drop and just let go. And he knew what issues he needed to fight for. Really just to the second thing. After you choose your battles that really matter, you hold your convictions graciously. Christians, can we hold our convictions a little more tactfully, a little more graciously? You see, when they take a stand here, they do it without being rude without disrespecting authority, without being obnoxious. They are self-controlled, and it shows great maturity for these 14, 15, or 16-year-old boys. Great maturity. If you understand what they're up against and what's already happened to them as eunuchs in the court of the king, a eunuch was always castrated. There's a reason you never read about Daniel and his wife or any of these guys and their wives or their families. They don't have them. They won't ever have them. When they were marched over to Babylon, became a part of the eunuchs of the king of Babylon, they were castrated. And yet they show not anger, not resentment. They don't rant, they don't mock, they don't whine about their rights being taken away or how evil those Babylonians are. But they knew where they stood, they knew their convictions, and without holding them in contempt, because the Babylonians didn't hold their convictions, Daniel is a man who is valued by the culture whose values he doesn't even buy. And Daniel does something amazing here, and I call it Daniel's wise appeal. Daniel makes a wise appeal in some verses 12 through 14. This is what it says. Remember that um, Ashpenaz has told him, hey, I fear the king. He says you're supposed to eat and drink this. This is what you need to eat and drink. And Daniel doesn't push against it the way that some of us might. This is what he does. Verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Did he, did he say please? Very, very respectful. Please, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, all the rest of the court. And treat your servants, all of the king's servants, in accordance with what you see. And what does it say there in verse 14? It says that Ashpenaz said, okay, I, I, I agree. And he tested them for 10 days. Kept his cool. 
Didn't yell. Didn't scream. Didn't pout. He just made a wise appeal. This wise appeal thing is so good, man. This, this is great for parenting, too. You think, where did Daniel get so grounded in the Lord? It was from good parenting. You think about these boys and what's already happened to them and how they're still walking with the Lord today and how they have so much knowledge that they even knew what they couldn't eat and could eat at 14, 15, or 16 years old. These people had great parents. I wonder if their parents ever taught them this trick to make a wise appeal. I had three daughters. They were like normal kids. They would whine and complain when they wanted something sometimes. Very early on, Amy and I started trying to figure this out and got some good coaching on this and read some books that uh, we were going to teach our girls to make a wise appeal. Because a lot of times if we were staying up late and maybe eating a bowl of ice cream and they wanted to stay up late with us and eat a bowl of ice cream, it might sound something like this. I really want to have ice cream, and I really want to stay up and watch the movie, and I've got to go to bed, and it's not fair. And we, so we would go, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I can't hear whining. I, I can't hear you. What were you saying? Would you like to make a wise appeal? <sighs> I really feel like it's not fair that you get to stay up, and I'd really like to stay up, and please can I have ice cream and stay up just a little longer than my bedtime? Hmm, that was a great wise appeal. You know what? You can. You could do that. And we would, we would allow that sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes we would. And what we were doing was training our girls that sometimes you make a wise appeal. That's exactly what Daniel did here, folks. He made a wise appeal. He didn't cry and moan and gripe and push against, you know. He, he just said, hey, hey, I got an idea. Would you let us eat vegetables and water 10 days? Just try it. Hey, if at the end of the 10 days, we look worse than those eating the raw food, just judge it on appearances in 10 days. He made a wise appeal. He stopped. That's your parenting tip for the new year, by the way. Um, is, and that's what he did. And if you want to be seen and accepted favorably by the culture and favorably by maybe authorities in your life that you don't agree with, that don't hold your, your same values, then treat them graciously and with respect. And sometimes, Christians, let's quit whining and crying and ranting, and let's just make a wise appeal to the culture. Hey, consider the outcome of our marriages. <laughs> consider the outcome of our way of life. Consider that, that all of these businesses want Christians to work there because they don't steal money out of the register like all the pagans in the culture do. Consider all of these things. Consider how we live our lives. In Romans 12, 18, it says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you remember that? It says, if it is possible, right? If it's possible, it may not be possible. And it's as far as it depends on you, not anyone else, not your circumstances. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Daniel knew that. So you choose your battles that really matter. You hold your convictions graciously. The third thing is you trust the impact of an obedient life. Trust the impact of an obedient life. You do the next right thing and you leave the results to God. Did you catch that? You just do what you know is right according to God's will and his ways in the word of God. You do the next right thing and you leave the results to him. Trust the impact of your obedient life. What our culture needs to see is that our life decisions works better than theirs. Our finances are better than theirs. Why? Because we operate by honoring God. We give a tithe and we live on 90%. And we are people that don't overextend ourselves in credit. We're not going to live beyond our means. And the 
world looks at that and goes, wow, that's, that's weird and different, but good results. We need to show them that our relationships are different. We need to show them the patterns of our life are different, that our productivity at work is different. They look at our lives and they see the value of God's ways. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, and he's not talking about foreigners and exiles like what we're talking about in Daniel's situation. He's talking about us being citizens of heaven and that we're foreigners and exiles while we're here on earth. And so Peter is, a, is appealing to Christians here, his friends. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles from heaven to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Quit sinning. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, you judgmental, horrible Christians, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Because the Bible also says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's coming back, folks. And when he does, wouldn't it be great if some people said, oh, those Christians, yeah, good deeds, glorify God. That was really for real. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong and talk bad about you on social media, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The Bible tells us that God wants us to live apart while living among. Do you understand that? We're to be separate and different from the world and yet we live in the world. We live amongst those in the world. Because the fact is this, you can't have impact if you don't have contact. You can't have impact if you don't have contact. I remember the story of this little girl that was from a third world country. And her mom had tried for forever to get her to come and visit the United States. And this little girl's about six, seven years old. Comes to the United States. She's in the airport terminal. She goes to one of those stores. You know what I'm talking about. It's like a toy store. It's like a, a small mart. It's, I mean, it's got everything. It's got food and toys. and I mean, it's anything you would want. She goes in there. She said, Mom, I've always wanted a battery-powered flashlight. Can I get a flashlight? And Mom said, sure, you know. So she buys her a flashlight. Of all the things in there, she wanted a flashlight. When one of that or her whole life. She gets a little flashlight out, and she's there in the airport. She turns it on, and she's like, Mom, it's not, it's not working very well. And of course, you know how those, those terminals are. They're bright lights, a lot of times lots of glass and windows, sunlight pouring in. It was hard to see the light because of all the light that was there in the terminal. And the little girl turned to her mom and said, Mom, can we go find some darkness so I can see how this works? And folks, sometimes as Christians, we've got to find a little darkness to be able to shine our light. We have to be in and amongst the culture. And I know sometimes we want to pull back and say, no, I'm done with it, I'm done with it. Hey, it's okay. Pull back for a week, pull back for a season, pray about it, lick your wounds, and go back out there and win some people to Jesus Christ. You're going to do it with your lives, not with your yelling. Trust the impact that you will have because of an obedient life. Daniel didn't cry out. He didn't scream out, he didn't pull out, and he didn't punch out. He decided, no, I'll just stand out from the culture. Last thing, remember that God is on the throne. I know sometimes this world feels like it is spinning out and we're frustrated and we don't like what we're seeing. Remember that God is on the throne. Those four boys, think about this, they were the best, it says in this chapter. Those four boys were the best in the court of Babylon to the king. But those four boys were able to serve the king better because they honored another king first. 
And what you're going to find out all throughout Daniel is the sovereignty of God. That God is working in the background. He's orchestrating where people are, when people are, what people are doing. God is sovereign over who is in control, even in Babylon. In verse 2 of our text today, it says, The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, to the king of Babylon. God did that. You can read down to verse 9. It says, Now God had caused that official Aspenaz to have favor on those boys. Now God had caused that. You get to verse 17. These four young men, God gave them knowledge and understanding. You see God's hand all throughout this story. And the fact is, you can see God's hand all throughout your story. We're going to see over and over throughout this study in Daniel that Babylon gets the most pressed, but the kingdom of God gets the most impact. And here's the big picture as we close today. Understand, what is the purpose of the exile and all that's going on in the text of our story? God is calling people to repentance. And sometimes he has to let them go through all of these bad things to get them to turn back toward him. The whole purpose of the exile is for the nation of Israel to cry out and say, oh my goodness, what have we done? And to turn and repent of their sins and turn back to God. God is working a plan. He is sovereign over it all. He's working a plan through everything. But what's amazing to me is also a little side note. The impact that Daniel and those boys had in the culture. Sometimes I think we don't realize maybe. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. Part of that Christmas is the story of some wise men, magi. Astrologer types from the east who came and traveled all those miles to Jerusalem and asked King Herod, when, when he was asked why he was there, he said, hey, we've come to see the newborn king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. How do they even know that? How do they know Jewish prophecy about the newborn king of the Jews from hundreds of years before? Got me thinking as I was reading and studying this. Hmm. Daniel was in Babylon. The influence that Daniel and his friends had on the culture, could it be that those seeds that God had planted through exiling his people over there come full circle in the story of Christmas with the Magi from the Babylonian era coming to see the baby Jesus in Bethlehem? I don't know that for sure, but it sure got me thinking, man, isn't God awesome? And God's still in control, even when we feel like our world is spinning out of control. And even when the culture is against us, folks, God is still in control. And he's working a plan. And we as his people are called, just like Daniel, to be faithful Remain faithful through it all. I hope that you're challenged with that this morning. And as we go throughout this series, that God just continues to challenge us with that.